Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Just thank you for, as Jim already said, the freedom to gather and uh, worship you, and uh, the freedom to, to read your word, and just the gift uh, that you have given us in, uh, in providing that for us. We pray now as we uh, hear from it, that the words that we hang on to are the words that you would want us to, to carry with us this week, and that uh, those things that are, are not from you, that are just my own thoughts, that we uh, easily let those go. And pray this in your name. Amen. So John chapter 20, uh, we're going to talk about Thomas this morning. And Thomas has a very uh, unfortunate nickname through Scripture. Uh, what's, what's Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas, which is, which is just unfortunate for Thomas, right? Because like all of history now, 2,000 years later, he's still doubting Thomas. But um, we're going we're gonna to talk about Thomas this morning, and Thomas isn't much different from the rest of the disciples. And he kind of gets a bad rap, and, and he's carried this unfortunate nickname. But we're going to talk about uh, how it's not just doubting Thomas, but it's the doubting disciples, and really all of us um, are, are doubters in our own way. So... John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, and Didymus just means the twin, so apparently he had a twin, we're not sure, but uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, so the situation is this. Jesus has appeared to, to his disciples. And, and everyone is there except for Thomas. Um, we're not sure where Thomas was, but he was out of the room, and, and so he missed the first appearance. And so he comes back, and, they, and they're saying, Thomas, we've seen him. And Thomas says, I just can't believe that. And you guys, you guys must have been imagining it. There's, there's no way that that's possible. And until, unless I actually see proof that it's actually him, that it's not somebody that kind of looked like him, which, you know, they've been with him for three years, so you would think that it would be hard to get it wrong. But, but unless, I, unless I see him, unless I see uh, the nail marks in his hands, unless I see where the spear pierced his side, I can't, I can't possibly believe that, this is, that, that it, was, it was Christ, that it was Jesus. And so he says, unless I see it. But you've you got to think, uh, if, if any of these other disciples had not been in the room uh, and had said, hey, we've seen Jesus, 
do you think any of the uh, any of the other ones would have said, "Oh yeah, probably you're probably right." And we've been looking at these appearances, these resurrection appearances, and and you we've seen just sort of the incredulity of, "Is it him? Could it possibly be him?" And and we've seen this this question of of who of what's going on here. This person that we've known and that we've loved and we've been with for so long, we saw him die. And now you're saying that he's back? And so Thomas doubts, and, and he says, unless, unless I see, uh, I can't possibly believe that it's him. And so Jesus appears to them, and he says, uh, Thomas, it's, it's me. And he see, as soon as he sees it, he says, uh, my Lord and my God. And this, in, in the Gospel of John, this is the, the highest profession of faith of any of the disciples, is what, is what Thomas says when he sees Jesus. And so you have on one, end, on one hand, we, he gets this nickname as Doubting Thomas, but he's actually the one who confesses Christ as God. And he says, my Lord and my God. But Jesus invites him to come and put his finger in the nail marks anyway and says, See, come, come and uh, come and see. And he says specifically, he says, "Stop doubting and believe." And in the in the Greek here, the the actual wording that is being used uh, is the, for the word for doubt that is used is the word apistas. So the word for faith is uh, pistas. You put an a in front of it; it's uh, unfaith. Or unbelief. So really what Jesus is saying is, stop not believing and believe. And Thomas, uh, Thomas is a, a, like a lot of us, where we, we hear something, we might hear about something that's, that's happening, and we say, I need more evidence. I need proof. I need something, I need something more solid to stand on. That, that the, the thing that you're telling me uh, sounds, sounds like it might be good, but show me more. I need some evidence. And so when Jesus shows up to Thomas, he says, Thomas, here's the evidence. Stop not believing, and now believe. Uh, God demonstrates uh, his presence to Thomas. And for some of us, that's, that's what doubt looks like, is we need, we need God to show a little bit more of his presence to us before we can really trust in him. And for some of us, maybe that's, that's trusting uh, in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That, that it, it can't possibly, even as we talk about it this morning, we look at this story, it's like, I, that's great for, for you, but, but I, I'm not going to have that experience. Jesus doesn't show up to me and say, uh, and, and so I, unless I can see some real solid evidence that God is real, unless I see some real solid evidence uh, that, that this happened, I can't possibly believe that. Uh, but sometimes it's just, it's just a need for God to show up in our lives. And we say, yeah, I think, I, I know God has said that he's in control. And I know that God has said that he has my best interest in mind. And that his way is better than mine. But, but this really seems, uh, this really seems good. And this really seems better than what God has offered me. And until I see, until somebody shows me that God's way is better than my way, then I'm going to just keep choosing my way. And we have this state of unbelief in which we need further evidence. If you turn to Mark chapter 9, there's one other example of, 
of where this word shows up in Scripture. Uh, Mark chapter 9. Jesus has just come down from the mountain of transfiguration, which we looked at a little bit ago, uh, about a month ago. Um, And he's come down, and and there's this experience where Jesus' disciples are actually trying to perform a miracle. And they're trying to come down from the mountain. And Cliff, I got this working, by the way. Um, So Jesus is coming down from the mountain, and, and there's these, this man around Jesus and, and his disciples, and they're saying, uh, can, you, can you heal my boy? And this is, what, this is what Jesus says, or the man says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this is, that same, this is that same play on words that we see in John with the story of Thomas. It's, it's ipistas. Help me overcome my apistas. I believe. Help me overcome my not belief. And this is what Jesus tells John. Stop not believing and believe. And I think... Uh, we see, at least I see myself, in the story of this man and in the story of Thomas. That there are moments of, of belief where I can say, yes, I trust God here. I, I can put my faith in him to this point. Uh, but there are still levels of places where I, I don't quite trust enough over here. And I don't quite trust enough in this relationship to really uh, necessarily be able to forgive even though I know God has called me to do that. I don't trust God. I can trust God with so much of my, of my family and, and my, my finances, but there are parts of it that I really I feel like I need to be in control of. And so this prayer, I do believe, but also help me to overcome my unbelief. I think we're all a little bit like Thomas, where we say, unless I see Unless I have the evidence in front of me, I can't trust this far. I can trust to hear, but I'm going to need to see a little bit more proof before I go here. And so Jesus says to Thomas, uh, stop not believing and believe. And, and the actual the thing that he says to Thomas afterwards, he says, "You now you have seen and you believe, but blessed are those who don't see, who don't demand as much evidence as possible before they can trust, but those who trust without believing. And here you have John writing this, this gospel probably at the end of his life. Probably all of the other disciples are dead and gone. And John is the last one. And he's writing to people, his audience are people who had never seen Christ never experienced this resurrection. He says at the end, uh, he has these, includes these words of Jesus, blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe, which would, be, which would be us. Those who haven't had that experience that Thomas had, and yet we still are able uh, to put our faith in Christ. Let's look at another set of doubters. 
turn uh, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we have the, in the very last verses of Matthew, we have a passage that's uh, commonly known as the Great Commission. Um, and, and we sort of jump past a really interesting thing that's going on here in order to get to that last saying of Jesus. And so, um, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you guys catch our word in there? Some doubted. So here, I think I can get Thomas, right? Like Thomas is, has, has seen Jesus die. He's experienced this, this loss. All the other disciples are saying, we've seen him. Thomas was out of the room. I don't know if they think he's, they're, playing a, they're playing a joke on him or what's going on, but he said, no, unless I... And, but he didn't see it. But here you have... The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What are they doubting? Right? Like, Thomas, he sees Jesus and he's like, my Lord and my God, like, I see it now. He's st- here in Matthew, Jesus is standing in front of them, and some doubted? Some still don't believe. Like, I, I don't know about you, but this one is just odd to me. Is anyone else? Yes? A couple of you, I guess. Um, yeah, but it's like, and, and I don't, I haven't really paid attention to this before, before this. But here he is standing in front of them on the mountain, and we're told that some worshipped him. We're actually told that, that they worshipped him, so maybe all of them, but in, apparently some of them also doubt. Um, we have a different word than our apistas for, for doubt. And it's this word, distazo in the Greek. Let me hear you say distazo. distazo. All right, you guys are great. Um, and this word, this word only shows up twice in the entire New Testament. Um, it shows up here and it shows up one other place. And this is in Matthew chapter 14. So let's turn back there. This will be one of the last places I make you turn. And I think this will give us a, a sense of what it is that they're doing when they're doubting here in this case, as opposed to the unbelief, the apistos of, of, that we've seen in Mark and John. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So here's our word again. Um, Peter walks out to Jesus on the water. Seeing the wind and the waves begins to be afraid and begins to sink. Jesus reaches out his hand, pulls him up and says, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And here's our word, distazo, once again. What is it that Peter is doubting here? Or what causes Peter to doubt? Go ahead. Fear, right? He sees... Uh, he sees the wind and the waves. And, and this is fascinating to me, again, s- similar to what we just looked at in Matthew 28. That Peter is actually walking on the water, right? That, that's what we're told, that he's actually out there standing on the water. And so he's, it's not as though Peter, Jesus says, come, and, Jesus, and Peter gets out of the boat and just like sinks right away. Which is, which is what we would expect to happen when you step out of a boat in the middle of water, is that you just begin... But he actually, he's actually standing on the water, and he's walking out to Jesus, and then he becomes distracted, and he begins to see what's going on around him, and he says, this isn't, this isn't normal. Um, and, and he begins to be afraid, and he begins to sink. And I don't know the... It doesn't really tell us exactly how he sinks. Um, if it's sort of like uh, the water just becomes water under him and he, and he just drops, like, or if, or if he's, it's more like we would expect like quicksand where he's like slowly going down. I don't know how you picture that in your head. I think I've normally pictured the quicksand thing. Um, but he could have just dropped, you know, and then he's, he's out there. And he knows how to swim, but um, obviously he's in the middle of a storm. So... But it's, it's the fear. He sees the wind and the waves, and the fear causes him to doubt. And so he begins to sink. And I think uh, as we think about the ways in which we doubt, I think maybe this is more common, a more common way to think about the ways that we could be uh, doubters as well. That, that it's not just, I don't believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. But we're afraid of what might happen if we actually step out on the water. We're afraid of the consequences of what are going, around, going on around us. And so instead, uh, we clam up and we begin to sink. We, begin, we get distracted by the things around us. And the disciples... And I wonder if the disciples in Matthew 28 who are doubting, they're not doubting because they don't believe that it's Jesus standing in front of them. 
but they're doubting all of the implications of what it means that Jesus is standing in front of them. And they're doubting what it means for their lives to change because Jesus is standing in front of them right now. And they're not sure they're ready for it. They're afraid of what it, what it means for them as they now move forward in their lives. And this is true for me as well, that, that, that my doubt often comes in the form of, of desiring to take ownership of things that God has told me to be generous with. Because I'm afraid of what happens if I let go. And my doubt comes in the form of, of not knowing how someone will respond when I step out and ask for their forgiveness. And so instead of asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation or in relationship, um, I just keep it in. And I don't reach out and I don't look for healing. Oftentimes our doubt leads towards complacency. That, that rather than stepping out in faith, we just give up. Because we're afraid of what might happen if we actually take that leap. If we actually move forward. And it's not that we don't trust that God will be with us as we move forward, but we're not sure we want to deal with the consequences of what will happen when we do. And so for, for Peter on the boat, for the disciples, uh, it's, it's this unknown, it's this un, uh, this untangible, intangible thing of, of what, what's on the other side. And I want us to finally look at this. How does Jesus respond to those who doubt? I want us to think about this as we think about our own doubt. And think about the ways that, that our fear causes us to doubt. Think about the ways that our unbelief causes us to doubt. How does Jesus respond to those who doubt. In Mark chapter 9, the passage that we looked at of the, the boy and uh, the, the father and his boy, and he says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Does Jesus say, well, I really can't help you with that unbelief. You're, you're on your own, and until you really get to that next level, uh, your son's out of luck. Does he say that? No. He, he, heals, he heals the son. Uh, Peter in the boat. Peter starts sinking and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, Peter, come on, man. Get that faith up. You're on your own. Like, pull yourself out of the boat at least. If you had more faith, yeah, maybe I would, I would help you up, but sorry, you're out of luck. No, he, he reaches down and he pulls him up and he pulls him into the boat. We looked at last week, uh, Peter, another example of Peter's doubt is when Peter denies Christ. Christ is there on trial, and, and he's out in the courtyard. And Peter, Peter says, no, I, I've never seen him. I, I don't know the man. And, and we looked at, in last week, John chapter 21, Jesus with Peter uh, standing on the shore, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love him. And he says three times, the same amount of times that Peter... Uh, denied Christ. He, he invites him and he welcomes him to say, I love you, and to affirm him once again. Jesus doesn't say, well, Peter, sorry, you know, you had your chance. I told you that you are going to deny me. You said you definitely wouldn't, and let's see who was right, you know. 
sorry, can't use you anymore because, because of your doubt. Uh, with Thomas, Jesus comes, doesn't come into the room and say, well, Thomas, I know you weren't here last time and, and you didn't believe when they told you you should have believed, so um, I have some things to say to these disciples here, but since you doubted, um, I'd like you to leave the room again. You know, he doesn't say that, right? And then look at this, turn to Matthew chapter 28 one more time. How does he respond to these disciples? When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus said to the ones who worship, not to the ones who doubted. No, it just says Jesus came to all of them. The ones who worshipped, the ones who doubted, Jesus came to all of them and he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Mark, uh, in, with Peter in the boat, when Peter denies Christ, with Thomas, with the disciples here on the mountain, Jesus doesn't say, well, your faith's not strong enough, so I can't use you. You have some doubt, so that's, you know, that's not really what we're about here. So, No, he sends them. Here, here they are. And the last words we're told before, it says some, after, before he sends them with this commission is that some of them doubted. And he says to them, go. I am sending you. To Thomas, he restores him and he says, Come, Thomas, believe. Now, you have, now I am welcoming you to come and see and to believe. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. That we, we have work to do now. I know you doubted, but now believe. And let's get on with the work that we're doing here. And, and the same is true for us as we think about our own doubt. And sometimes the doubt that causes us to seize up in fear. Or the doubt that says, I can't possibly believe. And Jesus says, come, believe. Stop not believing and believe. And go. We have work to do here. And sometimes I think that we, we look at our own lives and if we're honest with ourselves, we say, I, I'm, I doubt and I, my faith isn't strong enough here. My faith isn't strong enough to act. And instead of saying, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to step out anyway, we say, my faith isn't strong enough so God can't possibly want to have anything to do with using me that I don't have my life together in this area, in this area, and so I, I'm, not, I'm not quite as, as strong of a Christian as I, as I know I should be, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until I get to that point, and then God will use me. But Jesus says to his disciples, go, I'm sending you now, in the midst of your doubt. He says to Peter, feed my sheep. 
He pulls him out of the water. And he says, why did you doubt? But, but he brings him and he, and he works with him and he sends him to be a part of the work that he is doing in the world. And sometimes we think, uh, because, because of the language we use around, around faith sometimes, we think that, that faith just becomes an, an initial act. That, and that we either have faith or we don't have faith. And to, to some extent that's true in the case of like Thomas, where Thomas says, I don't believe. I can't believe until I see. And then Thomas sees and he believes. And he's gone from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. But, but even in the midst of that place, movement from unbelief to belief, you see these other disciples who see Jesus in front of them, and they're still at a place of doubt. They're still at a place of not quite sure of what all is happening. And I think uh, this is true for us as Christians, that we, that we move, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we move from a place of unbelief to belief. And, and sometimes we think that once we do that, if we have any more unbelief, if we have any more doubt, there must be something wrong with us as Christians. That our, our faith just quite isn't strong enough. And we're, maybe we're afraid to let other people know that I'm not quite actually sure over here. And I, ha- I still have questions, and I still stru- struggle, and, and yeah, my faith isn't as strong as it should be. And we're afraid that if other people, if other Christians knew about that, they would say, oh, well, yeah, you're right. Your faith isn't strong enough. Uh, come back when it is. You know, we can't really use you. But this isn't how Jesus responds. And this isn't how the church lives because we all are moving from a place of doubt to belief. A place of, of trust, of, of distrust or, or fear to, to more trust. Jesus doesn't expect us to get our faith 100% figured out before he can use us. I mean, this is what faith is, right? Is, is acting even when we're not quite sure uh, what is going to happen next. That if we, knew all the, if we knew the outcome, if we knew all the circumstances, it wouldn't be faith, it would be knowledge. We just know that this is what's going to happen. But instead, Jesus is constantly inviting us to deeper levels of faith. He says, okay, you're not believing here. Uh, stop not believing and believe. You're doubting here. You have fear here. Uh, come. See. Trust me. Come, come along uh, and go. We have work to be doing here. And so I'm sending you, even in your unbelief, even in your doubting, I'm sending you and I want you to trust me as you go. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, you go and guess what? I will be with you. I will be with you. But go. And Jesus is inviting us to these deeper levels of faith and he's sending us to be about his work even in the midst of our fear even in the midst of our doubt, he says, it's okay. I can still work with that. He says at one point, even if we have faith as small as a mustard seed. 
And I don't know how faith gets measured, but that's a pretty small amount of faith. And Jesus says, I can work with the tiniest sliver of faith. You don't have to have a tree's worth of faith, but just a, just a tiny bit. And now, go. I'm sending you to feed my sheep, to tell the world about my resurrection, to tell the world about my love for you. Go. Let's pray. Father, we um, are, are people filled with doubt. I know I am. Um, uh, filled with fear of the unknown, fear of what might actually happen um, if, I, if I live the life that you have truly called me to live. And so it's my prayer uh, this morning that I, I believe, uh, but please help me to overcome my unbelief. Amen. Looked at a passage known as the Great Commission in Matthew. There's another commission that, that our church has often held to in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that Paul is saying that, that God has sent us to be ministers of reconciliation. To proclaim reconciliation between God and us. And to be about reconciliation in our relationships. And so it's my prayer for all of us this week. As you are thinking about the places where you have yet to trust in your relationships and the way that you proclaim reconciliation, that you will go, even in your fear, even in your doubt, and to, to be about the work of reconciliation this week. May you proclaim it as an ambassador of reconciliation with your family, in your workplace, wherever you go. Go in peace.